0: For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit
1: our website. Suzuki Roshi came to America in 1959. A bold move for somebody in their fifties. Uh, that was the year of my birth
0: and he arrived in San Francisco and then one thing led to another and, uh, we're sitting here together tonight. So thank you, Suzuki Roshi. Um, and we're continuing this trail of our American Zen together. Um, Suzuki Roshi died, you know, in 1971. So he was here barely 12 years in America. Um, and he was, appeared to be, from what I've read, a tiny person, less than five feet tall, you know. Uh, but left this, like, incredible teaching that in some ways is very ordinary and profound at the same time. Um, we're very lucky. I don't think anyone here actually met Suzuki Roshi. Is that right? Yeah. So, um, there are still some people left alive on the planet. Um, many of them congregating around San Francisco and San Francisco Zen Center, but the general Bay Area, cause it has a great climate. Um, many of his close students wrote things about him. They actually made recordings on tapes. So I bet there was nothing that said this is being recorded. You know, there's somebody just like push some button and there probably was all sorts of fussing with all that technology. Um, some of you may not have even seen like, you know, these reel to reels that's what they must, some of them must've been done on um, tape, rec- tape recording machines. <laughs> so But a lot was preserved, and it was preserved in the hearts of his students. That's how I feel. And those hearts opened, and students wrote books, you know, some while he was alive, like Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind was, you know, standard reading, this really thin book. You think of Zen literature, it's so expansive. But there's just this little tiny book that inspired many of us and this tradition uh, that keeps being carried on of Suzuki Roshi's Teachings. Um, I just had a few of the books. So this is one really wonderful book. It's called Crooked Cucumber, uh, a kind of a biography of Suzuki Roshi. A beautiful biography of Suzuki Roshi, written with love by a student who I think really loves him, David Chadwick, who tiger knows well, is Bennett Ancient Dragon now in retirement on Bali. And David's still writing, but even the title of the book is kind of interesting to me. So Suzuki Roshi uh, was sent at like, I think, age 12 or 13, I think it was 13, to live with his teacher, his father's teacher, or father's student, actually, um, who kind of mistreated him. I would say was abusive to him and would taunt him with the name, you're a crooked cucumber. And in Japan, crooked cucumbers are things that are useless and get thrown away. I had a calligraphy teacher who was not quite as old as Suzuki Roshi, but he said his father would just hit him in the head when he made a mistake on a brush stroke. So this is sort of how this teaching was. So this name crooked cucumber sounds kind of cute, but I think of Suzuki Roshi being told, you know, you're in Japan, where belonging is such an important part of the culture people saying to him you know you're a misfit
1: you're an oddball you're useless um so deformed you get thrown in the compost bin
0: (laughs) and I think how what has happened here that this person ends up in America and gave us this great gift of teaching so I want to express great gratitude to Suzuki Roshi and also to, um, to everyone who's preserved his way, you know, including Taigen, who studied at Sen Center with many and his friends with many of his students, and just all of us, but I think his students like David Chadwick or Edward Brown, or, I mean there are countless people who've shared uh, his teaching and preserved it for us. And I also want to apologize for any distortion or disrespect of his teaching that I that emits from this mouth. It could happen. So forget about everything I say after I'm done, please. Um, So I bring up Suzuki Roshi because this is in this time. This has seemed like a strange, unsettling time we're in right now, Bodhisattvas, in case you haven't noticed i don't know how it's been for you um It's full of like this uprooting, this churn, this uh uncertainty, opportunity and danger, you know um for ourselves personally and for our sangha, for our community of Zen practitioners um our beloved ancient dragon community is now homeless. Uh, Part of the ravage of this pandemic. I don't think so different than Suzuki Roshi's lifetime. You know, he lived through World War II, I guess, and one. But you know, there's a picture of him where the temple bells from his temple were taken to be melted for metal for war. And he had to stand by and witness that, so so his life maybe prepared him to come to America and teach us. That's my fantasy about it at least um and so we're at a crossroads now um as a country, as our covid situation um And, you know, maybe our life is always at some kind of threshold or crossroads. It's just maybe more apparent to us now, you know, we're always standing in the middle of something without much of a direction about where to go. Um, but lately I must confess, I've been feeling a little lost or I noticed a little unsettling distress, maybe lurking in my mind stream, my body and, uh, anxious a little bit about venturing back into a world where it actually might be appropriate to unmask and freely share our bodies and breath again. Like coming to a new country. Um, So, so I was wondering, I wonder how Suzuki Roshi would, would relate to the moment we're in at this point in time. And I don't even want to speak for him, but I think, I just wanna share uh, a secret of his and also something that I found really helpful. So I'm wondering this, and then I I look on my refrigerator and I notice this piece of paper that's been hanging there for 10 or 15 years. (laughs) In this book, Not Always So, I stuck that piece of paper, I took it off of my refrigerator. So here's this piece of paper. There's Suzuki Roshi. <laughs> I think this is him coming to America, actually, or leaving. I don't know what's going on there, but something. And on this piece of paper, I remembered, I copied it from a booklet that I found at San Francisco Zen Center when I was loitering around there some years ago. And this booklet is called Remembering the Dragon. And it was a book of stories from Suzuki Roshi's students to honor, it was, I think, in 2004 to honor the 100th anniversary of his death. And it's edited by one of his students. And it's called Remembering the Dragon. And I think Wade could screen share this little picture that I found in the book that Suzuki Roshi drew in his diary on his way to America. I don't know if you can see that, it's really tiny. I don't know if you can like expand it a little, weight or not, but nope, okay. But it's this little tiny, like stick figure of a dragon. And we can, I know if people have been able to see that, but um, you can always write me at info at ancient dragon. I'll send you a little copy of it. It's kind of adorable but also a little homely and humble, but ready for the present moment. So uh, we can stop the screen share if you could wait. Thank you very much (laughs) for the technical assistance as always. So on this piece of paper though, is the front page or the frontest piece, I guess maybe that's what it's called of this little booklet Um, And the quote read, when you say yes, you forget all about yourself. And you're refreshed into some new self. Before the new self becomes an old self, you should just say another yes. And immediately I felt, "Ah, yes, like a kind of refreshment from Suzuki Roshi across time of, how to meet this moment at the crossroads, maybe how to meet every moment of our lives in Zen practice. Um, You know, it's like, don't get stuck in ideas or kind of meet and greet the situation. And I understand this, yes, as something, it's very, I guess, emblematic of Suzuki Roshi where he seemed to say things kind of simply, and maybe that's because English wasn't his first language. Uh, But they seem to, over time, at least in my practice, I feel I have deeper and deeper appreciation of them. And it's very easy to like, read a ton of Buddhist philosophy and literature. But, just to like stay with something simple like practicing yes uh, and exploring the qualities of yes, you know. Um, I think of Suzuki Roshi's yes as a simple affirmation, even kind of like correct yes. (laughs) I think of it as uh, an acknowledgement of presence and intimacy.
1: You know how you go, yes, dear, I think of it as a blessing or benediction to
0: everything that's arising. This yes has a quality of
1: invitation and welcome. Uh, Of course, I won't get into
0: this too much, but you can explore it for yourselves. Sometimes there's real resistance to this yes moment. <laughs> I'm kind of like, I want this moment, but not that.
1: Um, so I only know a handful of words in the Japanese language. However,
0: I know one, and the word for yes is hai. I don't know if anybody's heard this word before, but in it sounds it. Hi is actually a polite way to say yes in Japanese, but sometimes when you hear Japanese people say it, they'll be like, hi, you know, and, and, and I was invited to say it in that way at different times by various teachers, but it was a little uncomfortable for me, but I kind of like, I've often heard, heard hi said like, hi, hi, you know, it's kind of a sweet invitation. So it's kind of like, yes, yes,
1: yes, dear. You know, so this, yes, this high has a. um, An interesting kind of resonance in English and I guess in Japanese, too, and. um,
0: There's a ceremony of Dharma inquiry that's held at the end of a formal practice period. Sometimes it's called a Shuso ceremony or Dharma inquiry ceremony. Some people even call it Dharma combat. Uh, But it's kind of at the end of this long kind of intensive meditation. An event is held where everybody comes into the meditation hall and asks a question to the head student. And the form this usually takes, the head student is called Shuso. And anyone who's ever done this, has some feeling when you hear about this ceremony, if you've done it, or if you've seen it, if you've been either a questioner or the chuseau, the head student, and each person individually comes up to the chuseau and says something like chuseau, and the chuseau says, hi. Some chuseaus say yes, or they say hi, you know, but it's really this meaning of you're welcome at your service and fully present at your service, and fully present is this kind of uh, intimate and wonderful warm heart of practice. I think that Suzuki talks about this whole Shusso ceremony is kind of like a symphonic extravaganza of yes or of hi. And even during the practice period, the head student's job. Is to say yes to everyone and to everything. Um, so this is sort of like basic uh zen training, you could say. Um, and this, the the kind of becomes a a yes gen mark, <laughs> a yes gen mark, you know, yes, figuring out what this yes means. Uh once during uh, my Shouseau experience at uh someone at dinner asked me to finish their food
1: because they took too much and they didn't want to put it in the compost bucket. And you might guess what I said. Yes, please. Hand me your plate. Hi. <laughs> um. So, I was looking this original quote I read you from uh from the the pamphlet on the dragon uh on Suzuki Roshi's hundredth
0: birthday celebration uh I f- I actually found it. I was looking around for it because I'm like I thought I saw this someplace else, and I did see it. It appears in in two places that I could find. One was in this book, Not Always So, which is edited by Ed Brown. Highly recommended as a another iteration of Suzuki Roshi's students pouring forth his teaching, um, and this. And also, it was it was given in a lecture in like 1969 at City Center, and so Ed Brown took those lectures and edited them. Uh, listened to the tapes, I guess, those old tapes. Some some in some parts of the transcripts, they'll say, you know, like tape bad, inaudible. So we probably missed some things, but this. This uh, section was in a talk that Suzuki Roshi had given on a very famous teaching story about stepping off of the 100-foot pole. Many of you probably know that one, but it's a whole other Ah, uh, But this quote goes like this. The secret, this is Suzuki Roshi talking, the secret is just to say yes and jump off from there. Then there's no problem. It means to be yourself fully in the present moment, just yourself, always yourself, without sticking to an old self. So not stuck to inside, outside, or in between. You forget all about yourself and you're refreshed. You are a new self. And before that self becomes an old self, you say yes. And then this wasn't quoted in the, in what I read to you initially, but then it continues and says, and then you walk into the kitchen for breakfast. (laughs) So at some point in each moment, it is to forget the point. The point is to forget the point and extend your practice. So like maybe you walk into breakfast and someone offers you their unfinished plate, you know, uh, and after you eat it, Someone says, oh, could you help wash the dishes? So this is, this is the Zen practice of our lives. <laughs> you don't have to go to a monastery to do it. You can just wake up in the morning and see what uh, whoever you're living with or your partner, spouse, your cat, uh, the doorbell, what is being requested of you. So Suzuki Rashi goes on in this teaching on yes and says continuous practice is necessary. So do not rest. And I think maybe what is meant is, you know, if you're resting, still don't slack off.
1: Don't forget. Ah. Don't forget to be present
0: and ready to jump at any moment. Um, He goes on to say how to continue continuing this endless practice, how to continue is to have a generous mind, a big mind, a soft mind, to be flexible, not sticking to anything. And practicing this way, there is no need to be afraid of anything or to ignore anything. You know, we live in times that feel a little sticky to me. Almost like either there's glue boards everywhere coming out of our telephone, coming out of our television sets, coming out of our radio stations, coming out
1: of our government. Uh, there's so many places to get stuck. And... um
0: this soft yes, this open yes, is not a yes of passive agreement or some kind of toxic positivity. Um, it's it's a yes of open heartedness that and willingness. You know, ancient dragon jumped off of the hundred foot pole and left its home, and we're sort of in free fall now, twirling across the internet. Maybe we'll end up being mined as Bitcoin or something. And, um,
1: you know, this this flowing quality uh,
0: flows from our intimacy in our zazen, in our practice. It starts maybe on our cushion, but hopefully it flows out of that. um, So that the truth of non-separation is part of that flowing, but also the Bodhisattva heart. The heart that maybe thinks about others before our self-centered ideas about the world, maybe, or catches ourself when we're just about to step on the glue board and get really stuck. You know, that we're just, there's just a minute, a hair's breadth of awareness that, we don't have to get so stuck that we can care for the world in a deep way. Uh, it might be yes of like, oh, yes. And instead of just throwing this in the garbage, I might put it in my compost bin, even though I have to walk five extra steps to do it. <laughs> so that's uh, a few of my ramblings on yes. This could be explored Endlessly in practice. I'm still exploring it. I hope I do until I die, and then I'll say yes to the end of my life. But you know, it's now or never bodhisattvas. <laughs> so we're moving into new challenges in our lives, in our way, in our practice, as a sangha. Mm. As a country living with a a new life form called, what is it? SARS-2 coronavirus, something like that. Um And yes, I feel we're always being supported by Suzuki Roshi um, and refreshed. There's a possibility of being refreshed. Uh So it's probably enough for tonight, if that's okay. Um, But tell me your secrets, bodhisattvas, your practice secrets, um, or any of your yes-dians. (laughs) It's kind of a yes version of a question. So we have a
1: little bit of time to hang out on this beautiful evening. Thank you very much.
2: So please, uh, comments, questions, responses for Hogetsu uh, to say yes to her yes, to Suzuki Roshi's yes, to all the yes. Please feel free.
3: I to, oh, I don't want to start. I want to go second. Go ahead, Wade.
0: <laughs> Wade, thank you for um, allowing Matt to go second.
3: It's my pleasure. Uh, um, I, I just wanted to say thank you for a wonderful talk. I found it to be a, a very um, inspiring encouragement to practice. Uh, it's always a, a wonderful thing on a on a Monday night. When I start the week out grumpy, um, encouragements <laughs> to practice are always appreciated. So thank you.
0: <laughs> You're welcome. So when something comes in your inbox, way, you know, you know what to say.: <laughs> I,
3: I do I do. My job just needs two or three more of me for all the things I keep saying yes to.
0: <laughs> right. So sometimes saying yes" is like, "Yes, thank you. That doesn't work for me right now. Can we find something that works for us all, and f- let's take time to do that? and it's it's amazing sometimes how um a second of pause of letting go of the moment completely, which is yes, allows space for creative opportunity, for intimacy and connection. Um, so sometimes yes is no. <laughs> Thank you, Matt.
3: <laughs> yeah, Well, guess who, I don't know if I've met you. I'm just a digital joiner. I live up in Minneapolis. And I've uh, been attending um, these online gatherings with Ancient Dragon for the last few months. Um, But I have deep respect for sewing teachers. Um, I know a couple of them up here in Minneapolis. And um, I I think it's wonderful. Um, I want to get your thoughts about this idea of reopening. So this word reopening works on multiple levels. (laughs) (laughs) So um, We're kind of reopening now our hearts and our centers. Um, We have four Zen centers up here in Minneapolis. And one of them has an official open date. Um, Clouds and Water, I think, is going to open in some form July 1st. Um, My center, Minnesota Zen Meditation Center, we're actually under construction right now, which gives us a a free pass. (laughs) We can't open up until July, even if we wanted to. (laughs) Uh, But I do notice, like, my dad's a practicing Catholic, and his church has been open the entire time. And I thought, what's? I had this thought. Pardon me for saying this. What's wrong with us? <laughs> like, do we not treat our religion as important as, like, you know, Christian and other religions? Like, I, I understand. I think it actually makes sense to meet over Zoom. I do, and I think we're actually being quite prudent. But I think you know, all of us fear or uh, feel this fear. You know, this cautiousness, this resistance to reopen, right? Um, So I want to kind of get your thoughts about that because, you know, I treat this as my religion. This is incredible. This is life and death for me. It's the most important thing. I am also in my 40s. And, um, you know, my risk of COVID is different from someone who's older than me. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just so weird. My dad's been going to church for the last year. He's 74. And I'm jealous. (laughs) Why has he gotten to go in person for the last year? And it's dangerous. I'm sure it is. But he's gone every Sunday. And uh, I just want to get your thoughts about that. It's, it's always kind of interesting, this idea of reopening. So thank you.
0: Well, well thank you very much, Matt. Um, one joy of our carefulness is that you're here. <laughs> you might not have shown up had it not been for this situation of COVID. Now, it's an interesting thing. I will say, by the way, I love – Zen in Minneapolis and have often visited and probably know the sewing teachers, you know, (laughs) and I know
1: Ben and plenty of other people at Clouds. So uh, I'm happy to hear their opening. I think in Zen, and, you know,
0: I think it is, it is possible like in a, in a, Christian church, let's say, or any church or any Zen center, I think it is possible for people to have been very careful and taking care of their communities during COVID and allowed, uh, quote, people to meet for worship together. I don't know how that worked or how many people got COVID in your dad's situation, but I know that... um, Many people who are doctors and nurses and many other workers went to work every day. Some of them had to take incredible precautions, people I knew, you know, to to not get COVID. Um,
1: I think in Zen, uh, not all Zen centers were completely closed during this time, but I think we
0: probably chose and I mean, other people can probably speak to this more than I can, but I think there is a sense of uh, how do you take care of a community and the space that ancient dragon had did not have things that were conducive to staying open in terms of size and ventilation and such, um, and we actually gave up that space, maybe partially because of that Uh because it seemed like it wasn't a sustainable situation, but you know, I think there's always a sense of uh, we jumped off a hundred foot pole. It might have that hundred foot pole. We might have been landed by staying open. You know, uh, yesterday I attended a, a one day sitting, half of a one day sitting that was held in a martial arts studio. Um, and that studio remained open during COVID and teaching is partially closed for some of the time, but the person who ha- owns that studio and cares for it was very diligent about protecting the space and the situation. That's a big ask. So I think in some ways, um, every sangha has to make a choice or every community has to make a choice about the best way to take care of each other. And I think ours is maybe a little more conservative and that's okay. Everybody's got their way. It brought you here. Um, But I think you miss probably the physical proximity of sitting with people and the sense of community, which I feel is very strong at, in Minnesota. I feel that there's a Zen Uh, The sense of Sangha, and maybe that comes from, you know, other cultural factors there, but it's a very uh, lovely feeling. Um, I don't know if sewing was still happening. Was it during COVID?
1: There
3: was uh, at home over Zoom, but they would have Jukai ceremonies outdoors and there were still ceremonies. But if I can redirect your answer just a little bit, I think it was 100% prudent for all of us to shut down. I don't disagree with that at all. My question was more coming from, uh, we are reopening now at different, right. and it's tough. It's tough to be like, I'm okay. Like, I went into Target up here, yeah. half the people weren't wearing masks, and the other half were, and it's just weird. So I just want your thoughts yep. about that process of reopening. So, yeah.
0: Well, that's why I'm bringing up this yes, you know, and it's not a determinant thing. It's to, this is kind of a wonderful practice opportunity because it's not comfortable, and there it's really clear that there's not one right way to do things and you know it's a very squishy situation where it's very easy to get stuck in certain views and again yeah it's scary and uh we all take risks every day <laughs> you know um because life ends up in one place as far as I can tell. But there is some sense of like when we're, when, when there's a momentum of a habit pattern, there's that momentum to shift that and pivot and take the risk. You know, this is what Suzuki Roshi did. You know, he took this risk to come to America, leave so many things behind. Uh So, So, you know, it was risky to shut the doors, and it's risky to open the doors. And our practice is always on kind of a razor's edge. So I think it's fine that you feel a little nervous. I was feeling kind of nervous. That's when I saw that quote, I was like, thank you, Suzuki Roshi, you know, uh, for reminding me of a soft, flexible mind. And everybody's situation is, is different. And it's easy to kind of dislike somebody who's wearing a mask or not wearing a mask like I think now if I wear a mask do people think I'm like an anti-vaxxer and aren't vaccinated but if I take my mask off do people think I'm you know so how do we care for the world and this is a great question so thank you so much for continuing to explore it and please share with us how this goes for you because we're all experiencing it you know But this is this is you know like we can get really comfy in practice you know kind of make our little
1: nest and uh, yeah there's a lot more I could say about that but
0: enough enough of my blabbing thank you Matt and welcome from and love to everyone in Minneapolis (laughs) Brian Taylor.
2: Thank you, Hogetsu. Um, that was a really helpful talk. I wonder how many people, um, in this group have seen that old Jim Carrey movie, Yes Man. I was, I was thinking about it. It's worth seeing. It's, he, he is hilarious, of course, as usual. <laughs> and it's a, it's a story about a guy who goes to a workshop and there's a self-help guru whose message is just say yes to everything. And he, he t- makes a commitment to do that and begins to discover uh, the double-sided nature of that. That on the one hand, he, he, where he had been negative, he starts to be, oh, as you've been saying, very open to all sorts of new experiences that he ha- hadn't done before, and his life starts to become much more vital. But he also gets himself in a lot of trouble, and that's where the, the humor is in the story. Um, and I and I guess it, you know, that, that movie has stayed with me precisely because of the message of Try saying yes. And, and of course, we don't always say yes. Sometimes we have to say no. But um, there's a way in which I, I also thought about, you know, the saying, Dharma gates are boundless, I vow to enter them, is a kind of, it's a yes to whatever's happening. It's it's not a no. Um, and even if it's a, a no in terms of I'm going to not do that, I'm going to do this, or I'm not going to accept this, I'm going to try to change this or whatever, it's still a yes to the situation instead of a a no or pushing away to the situation. Anyway, those are some of the things that came to mind for me. And I wondered if you had anything more to say along those lines.
0: Ryan, yeah. Thanks for that movie. I heard about it, but I never saw that yes movie, but I think what, what also Suzuki Roshi might be helping us or pointing us towards is a transformative yes, So
1: it might take, uh, you know, we have uh, skillful means, let's say, of meeting moments and transforming our
0: difficulties. But there's a sense of allowing our delusions, our confusion, our karmic hindrances, you might say, uh, our fear and giving it just a little bit of space. That's kind of the yes buffer or making it a question. That's why I say it's a yes, because it's a, <laughs> a suggestion, you know, it's a question mark more than just like, yeah, let's go ahead and do this. Or I'm saying sure to everything, but there's also something I found that I found very helpful in Zen practice and in community, in Zen practice, especially monastic community, where there's a lot of room to say yes to people and to say, how can we get this to work for everyone? So someone might offer you a task and might be like, "Um, would this work for you? So part of the yes is also wanting to invite everyone to participate in the yesness so this is getting dropping the self and getting beyond uh this is a fresh self in each moment but that self is actually all things including the planet and other things we can't see and then it becomes much deeper so there can be this kind of naive yes which is a little bit lazy and kind of be like yeah yes to everything because i don't want to say no or something like that but then there's this um affirmation and invitation and a welcoming of everyone to work together. You know, this is total dynamic functioning. So yes, is this, yes, how can we include everything? So it includes the people afraid of COVID and the people who deny COVID. And, you know, how do we work with that in some kind of harmonious way that expresses our true nature, which is non-separate? We're all jewels in the net of Indra. And so this is that transformative quality, or you could say a dropping away to really see things as they are. And then you might, you experiment and see what happens. Willing to make mistakes, which is the new self that arises with the next yes, instead of the self that's like, I don't want to make any mistakes. You know, some mistakes are grave, but you know i might i might think that if i wear a mask all the time that i'm being this good person you know and i'm protecting all beings maybe you know maybe but there may be other things that are harmful that isolate people or that i turned away from somebody behind my face covering so i don't i think this is the reality that constantly flows so thank you, Brian, for bringing this up. It's a very deep issue. And let me know what you find out as you explore it,
1: please. Thank you. Well, thanks, again. So
4: you know, I just wanted to say I, thank you for your talk. Um, there's a Menards at um, North and Costner that's so big. This store is so enormous. The lumber yard, the grounds. I don't know how, it, I, it, it must have its own moon or something, just enormity, <laughs> this place, it's a piece of money. And I've been there far too often, and there was a sign on the door today that was never hasn't been there for over a year. It said, masks optional. And I went in there and I felt like Janice Joplin tearing my bra off. It was fantastic. <laughs> And it, it was liberating in a way that I never even expected it would be because it was sort of hard trudging around that giant store with the mask on, quite frankly. It was another encumbrance. So, yes, we are in transition. And I'm not sure, because you know how they give you that card when you've been vaccinated? Yeah. I'm not sure if you should have it on your desk or something or some way that to declare that your status. But the reason I um, – I came across a a poem by Mark Strand, who's a Canadian poet, Mm -hmm. and I just wanted to, it's very brief, it's only three stanzas, and it corresponds with your talk, and I thought I might read it briefly. Please, share it. I feel the urge to talk. (laughs) (laughs) So he he writes in uh, Keeping Things Whole, Mm -hmm. he writes, in a field, I am the absence of the field. This is always the case. Wherever I am, I am what is missing. When I walk, I part the air, and always the air moves in to fill the spaces where my body's bent. We all have reasons for moving. I move to keep things whole. So I like that poem as it relates to your talk.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Beautiful, Ed. You know, I grew up in a hardware store. And uh, I love walking around that very Menards you're talking about, but I haven't been in there since we're liberated. But it's probably big enough the whole time with plenty of air circulation, you know. Um, oh,
4: it's amazing. Yeah.
0: But, you know, I was struck by that poem by Mark Strand in the sense that, like, that poem is the movement of stillness. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Yes, it's
0: the activity of stillness, and so beautiful of of the wholeness in movement, you know sometimes in Zen movement is thought of as a bad thing, but actually, I think uh you help me think about that a little bit, how how we move through the world, and if we move what what say that again about moving about wholeness, please.
4: We are all. We all have reasons for moving. I move to keep things whole.
1: Yeah, that's
0: our
4: practice. In a field, I am the absence. I'm in a field. I am the absence of field. This is always the case. Wherever I am, I am what is missing. I love that sensibility.
1: Mm.
0: So in Dogen, when you know the Dharma fills your whole body and mind, you know that something's
1: missing. And it's full. So, wow, this is just like a really wonderful
0: conversation. And Ed, thank you for that poem. Maybe you could um, either put it in the chat box or send it to info at Ancient Dragon. might be really nice.
4: I think Chicago has become a world capital for poetry because now you can go to the Poetry Foundation and pull anything up. It's amazing. And so... um, even though I have it here, it was assigned to me to read. Today. I don't know how to, I don't know how to do the technology thing. Well, but, I but anyway, poetry
0: actually, found you don't want strand. Mm-hmm.
4: This is what I really wanted to read, but I thought it was too long. <laughs> so that, I don't know how, I don't know. I'll shut up. Well, William Blake.
0: Well, let's oh, see. Is anyone, would it work for us if Ed shared William Blake? Would that work? Oh,
4: okay. Please, you really? Know? Hi. All right. It's from Songs of Experience. Mm. Songs of Experience, and not Songs of Innocence. Songs of Experience, and your 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 talk has the appearance of a song of innocence, yet it it exhibits it exhibits the life of it exhibits a life of experience so uh, william blake who i don't know anything about and i'm not sure i'm pronouncing this right tiger tiger burning bright in the forests of the night what immortal hand or eye could frame thy fearful symmetry in what distant deeps or skies burnt the fire of thine eyes on what wings dare he aspire what the hand, dare seize the fire? And what shoulder and what art could twist the sinews of thy heart? And when that heart began to beat, what dread hand and what dread feet? What the hammer, what the chain, and what furnace was thy brain? What anvil, what dread grasp, dear, its deadly terrors clasp? When the stars threw down their spears and watered heaven with their tears, did he smile? His work to see, did he who made the lamb make thee? Tiger, tiger, burning bright in the forests of the night, what immortal hand or eye dare frame thy fearful symmetry? Dare frame thy fearful symmetry. So when you say yes or you say no or you are in response to something, you are symmetricizing your world. You are framing it in a way of order out of chaos. And who dares to make that decision than oneself other than oneself in this world. Right. So I think at least that's one theme in this particular poem. And that's a theme of experience in the world that you are on your own in that regard, ultimately. So anyway, I apologize. I feel ridiculous now, but I just, these are very emotional poems, thoughts and writings, and they are, they are parallel track with your, with your, with your talk. So I just, I just referred to them.
0: Wonderful. Ed, and, um, I'm glad you're not distracted by your shame or your fear of (laughs) talking
1: too much. Um, and that we could say yes to all of that and then jump off the 100 foot pole and like do this great you know
0: we we gave us this great poetry reading and pointed us so yes i think zen does not have a patent or a trademark on the way the world is it's one way of being and it resonates with many the genius of someone like suzuki roshi too is in his simple yes, he's also in conversation with William Blake and Strand and all of us still, just by saying yes. And I I sincerely hope that we all we all will express that and actually realize we are expressing it. We're always expressing it, but we don't realize it. That's our ten teaching. So
1: so thank you, Ed, for your expression of yes. And also Wade put, I think, probably the Poetry Foundation
0: link in our chat box. So thank you for helping us out.
1: And we'll all help each other as we crawl around in the dark, finding our way together. Any last thoughts before we return to the darkness of our screens, Bodhisattvas? Say yes to the next moment.
5: Beings are numberless, I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible, I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless, I vow to enter them. Buddha's ways unsurpassable, I vow to realize it. Beings are numberless, I I vow to free them delusions are inexhaustible i vow to end them dharma gates are boundless i vow to enter them muda's way is unsurpassable i vow to realize it Beings are numberless, I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible, I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless, I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable, I vow
1: to realize it.